Hey, sports fans, this is uh, Brett and Brian, and welcome to the first ever Super Sass Brothers Podcast, where we're here to talk about all things software as a service. Now, if you were here for Sass Seattle and American Slum, that's next Thursday. <laughs> so, the, uh, so this is the first podcast and uh, hopefully series that Brett and I are going to put together. And because it's the first one, we kind of want to talk about uh, what we're intending to talk about here and then kind of like what the cadence these conversations are going to look like. So uh, to dive right in, like Brett and I both work for SaaS uh, companies here in Gainesville, Florida. We have similar roles, which are kind of diverse because we're working with smaller companies. And uh, part of that, like we talk about challenges a lot. And the interesting thing was we assume that if we're dealing with these challenges and these roles and more and more companies or more and more people are getting to working for SaaS companies as the technology evolves, maybe we can start a conversation and let, let hear what other people are dealing with and kind of bounce things off one another and uh, just talk about what drives us crazy working in this space, what we've seen go well, and all of the above. And the format for the podcast is going to be a little bit open-ended. Um, we both have some ideas about the ways we've seen our, our companies work and some ways we've seen that different ideas in, in technology kind of go from idea to execution to long-term growth. Uh, so we'll touch on different topics. We'll bring in different guests uh, when we convince people to uh, come sit at the table with us. We really just want to hear about things both in the Gainesville tech community, especially the startup community, uh, but we're also super interested in things beyond Gainesville and, and the Silicon Swamp. Um, so if anyone will let us pick their brains, sit, joke around with us a little bit, have a cocktail possibly, uh, everything else under the sun we'll touch on too. Uh, there may be some barking dogs in the background. There may be some back and forth that you know we, we try to engage uh, our customers and our listeners as well. Um, but that's about it. Yeah. Hopefully you guys are interested in it. I think so too. And uh, again, we're, we're open to feedback on this. I think this could be a really good thing for not only like the Gainesville tech community, SaaS community, which is what we're interested in, but I think more I think more people than not are dealing with similar challenges, maybe not even in this industry and just kind of having uh, some sane posts to listen to and hear us kind of spitball the, the challenge we go through might be super helpful. So uh, what we're going to talk about kind of diving right into the subject matter for this week is something that came up today over uh, breakfast with Brett and I, and it was talking about uh, like the integration of uh, a company. Like what does integration actually mean when you're working, when you have multiple departments working with this one core objective, which is like the company's global KPI, which is grow the business by this, or close these many customers next 12 months, or reduce attrition by this amount. How having an integrated system in place between departments will save you a save you tons of headaches down the down the road when as you're working towards this goal whereas if you work with your uh, each of the each of the departments have their own siloed whatever it's not going to be as smooth an experience as uh, as you would like it to be yeah i think one of the biggest things missing uh, from the startup and SaaS and technology scene is a little bit of humility and honesty. Um, I think that's part of why Brian and I have, have gotten along so well is there's a large amount of bullshit out there and the bullshit changes every so often. At one point it's growth and then next thing you know you're talking about you know the need to accelerate your training and learning and next thing you know everyone and their, their mother needs an LMS and now you've got app queues and Pendo because the user experience is incredibly important. Um, there's no one who's going to come out and say that they don't think about their customer journey. I feel like the customer journey is talked about 
if not directly, it's indirectly referenced at every tech company. How do I get users onto my platform? How do I get them engaged? How do I get them to love what we do? The, the problem we ran into is that same thought process isn't applied at startups and SaaS companies cross-departmentally. So we want our new users to really like our marketing content and our sales content. And we really need uh, those users, once they come onto our platform, to feel super engaged. Mm-hmm. And they need them to feel like the person they're working with has got their back and going to support them and take them through their training implementation. And then once they're up and running, we really need them to know that our support infrastructure is great and the resources we make available to them are wonderful. The problem is those are all three separate things. And, and they're always indicated as a few different teams, a few different responsibilities. You know, the big issue isn't so much that those teams might be working in different tools and platforms. It's the fact that they're working together. They're not actually working on the same goal. Uh, no, like they're working towards departmental goals, which is it, it's a huge issue. And I think it's something that you said a second ago that I want to go back to is the transition from department to department is so important when you talk about just like an overall customer experience but i think about it like focus on is the transition well i think about like passing the baton it's uh it's like if you're a relay team and i pass the baton to the next person i'm expecting them to run as fast as i was running to make sure that we get towards the finish line and i think when departments aren't aligned on goals or even how they treat customers you have maybe this great marketing experience right like the marketing messaging was wonderful and it got the lead in the, the door and like they're they're excited to work with your team and they get to your sales team and they have a great time and then once sales close the deal, the figure to passing the baton to whatever team comes next, which is like an onboarding training team, if that doesn't go smoothly and the other team doesn't have the right information, you could drop the baton, right? And that's like the term that you use in, in track and but it's it's a real thing with customer experience. Like if you drop the baton, that disrupts the entire flow of that customer of how you're working with the customer and what their expectations of your company effectively become. You know what happens, actually? Uh, from the customer's perspective, they are the baton. Uh, oh, they're 100% the baton. And, and they're expecting to get passed off. But here's, here's what happens now. Uh, I hand you, my sales guy, my customer uh, as, as a company, and you run. You run. You're setting this expectation with the customer. What I feel happens now is when the sales guy gets done with you, there's not so much that handoff. Often he throws you to someone, <laughs> and the next thing you know, you've got a new person. Uh, who you may or may not be fully aware of what was happening. You thought you were going to get passed off and handed. Ne- next thing you know now, you're a baton on a, on a skateboard moving downhill. <laughs> Flying through the air. And, and you've got the next person who's really giving you a lot of emotional support on the side. He goes, you're doing a great job, baton. Keep rolling, keep rolling. Maybe it goes well, maybe it doesn't. You don't know where the sales guy is. He's back at the, the handoff point. And when you get to the end of the skateboard trip as the baton, he kick flips you. And next thing you know, you wind up in a paper boat. <laughs> And you're in a paper boat and you see a whole bunch of people on the horizon and they're like, well, if you steer your boat here, you, you can get some help. And oh, if you go that way, that's absolutely the direction you need to go to. And you, you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, where's my, where's my guy? Where's the guy who was supposed to hand me off? But the paper boat's happy. The paper boat is supposed to move X amount of batons every month as quickly as possible. The skateboard support man is supposed to give the baton support, but hey, we don't want to go too far with the skateboard baton because we don't want to set the wrong expectation because the paper boat is only going to do X. And we don't want to, we don't want to change this in sales. And sales shouldn't sell the skateboard baton. Sales should sell the handoff. So when sales is selling the handoff 
and that handoff isn't happening. And when the skateboard baton is giving support, but he's not actually directly involved, or he's not as involved as he thought he was going to be on the sales side. And then when they've got our tiny little paper boat, and he's floating around, and they have their monthly CSAT meeting, and they're like, hey, guess what, guys? We're at Triple Nine in Zendesk. I was like, let's all go have a paper boat party. Um, all right, so if you have paper boats, and if you have batons, and if you have skateboards, you're apparently killing it in business. <laughs> I thought you were going to be doing if they were doing home bingo. <laughs> I think they could be the things we were we were knocking off. I'll tell you what, that is a uh, that is a great like Friday night evening of making a paper boat, and uh, yeah. But the the whole concept here is that the experience between departments has to be consistent for the customer. If not, there's going to be a drop off, which is not. It's not a like think about how when you purchase a product like the last thing that you bought and uh, we're picky now. Like I think people are just picky, maybe more picky picture by nature, whatever the right way to put that is. But we have to focus on even the little details of that experience or it, it's not going to live up to this crazy lofty high standard uh, what people expect. Now the counterpoint is like what if on – you know, again, we'll talk about top of the fun like marketing and sales. What if they appropriately set the expectation where it's like we're going to put you in a paper boat? It becomes hard to sell. Well, it, well, it, I think for the right – I think I think you have to have the right audience. I think there are people that – I think if I said like early adopters to the right person where it's like, hey, uh, we have a different way to pass a baton. You've always known baton passed from good person to person. We found that paper boats make it faster, which sounds so stupid. But I think – the messaging for that, if you just wrap the right way, you're right. Someone's going to say, who's going to put a baton in a paper boat? And they're going to be right. But I think there's a small percentage of people who are going to be are going to say, all right, that's an interesting, new, innovative concept. I will absolutely try that out. And that's where we come to this point of, is the issue actually we think teams have different goals so they don't, they're not aligned? Or is the issue the teams have a different perception of what the experience is like and they sell that perception? I think uh, I think it depends on the company structure. I think unfortunately, what, what the big point that we get to is as the company grows, and especially as you bring in outside talent to fill roles who weren't there since day one, their KPIs and their metrics are going to be very specific to the area of the company they're taking over. So there's this big question of, well, we need to grow. I need a VP of sales. I need a director of marketing. I need a director of support. It's very difficult to hold those people to the standard of, well, your goals are the company goals. Your goals are the company goals because they're big and amorphous. Uh, I look at more from the perspective of user experience. So while maybe there are always going to be a need to have different goals for different management levels because how else do you pay them? How else do you know if they're doing well? The, the overarching goal of what we should do with our customer should be to grow them into a long-term customer who's happy with us, who we're able to retain, work with, etc. Um, that's like ARPU. Like that's the whole idea of ARPU, like average revenue per user and grow it over time. But you're right. That's it. And like, where does that value actually start? Does it start when they sign the contract, or is there like a value in marketing where if you identify the right customer, like while they're while you're still paying to have those marketing conversations, I feel like there's still some there's a value attributed to that by have, talking to the right people based on close rate and the the percentage likelihood that based on who they are and what their problem is, they're going to stay with your company for whatever period of time. Yeah, I think the, the, the big thing we look at, and I like to perfect world these things. So in a perfect world, your sales guy knows the product as well. As a support rep, he's just much more personable and can talk to people. And your support rep, while it's not his core business function, 
to actually continue to sell the product when he leaves his interaction with a customer and he's helped them identify an issue, work through a problem. There's also this, this thing in the back of their mind that says, let me make sure I'm engaging with them, you know, to make sure that there's excitement, that I'm not just feeling that I focused on, you know, just resolving this one thing that came to mind. Do I feel that they actually are invested? Do I hear red flags about, you know, the, the way they approach this conversation? Do they come in incredibly frustrated over something that I felt was inconsequential? And then did I still treat it as inconsequential and not actually own the big problem? I think, um, you know, the thing we talked about this morning, the, the term we keep going back to is the, the integrated approach, mm-hmm. where ideally that'll never happen. You're never going to get the salespeople to get in the product as much as you like. You're never going to get the support people in the product as much as you like. But what should happen is sales, support, all other core business functions that deal with the customer should all understand what they do. And there are plenty of times that while the salesperson might not fully get the product, there might be fundamental aspects of what happens in onboarding or implementation that they don't know. That's not a, a business function of understanding uh, something complicated. It's understanding a process you put in place and the same goes for what happens after that training and implementation. Sales should know that. On the inverse, everything that happens after sales should be fully aware of what they're selling and what that process looks like and what the difficulties are there. That's the that's the gap I think that's that exists in a lot of companies and, and companies we've worked for is that consistency of understanding that's not in place. I'm gonna throw one at you. You said something that's interesting that uh, I have an opinion on, but I would love to hear your opinion. I want you to give me, and you can't say 50-50, the split of importance if I'm a salesperson, because you you were very focused there. There was a very, uh, seems like there's a sales there's a sales issue and a sales storm right now, and that's fine. And I, I wanna understand like your perception of, is it more important for sales to know product or process? That's a good one, um, and I'd love to hear what our what our, our listeners think about this as well. And I'm sure there'll be some some wonderful arguments about this. Uh, I have seen very successful salespeople sell based on excitement and sell based on a real true belief in things that they found out or were told third party about the product or the service that they were working with. Uh, these are great talented people who can talk, who can work deals, who can follow up, who can cajole people and massage them based upon their expectations that have absolutely nothing to do with working a deal from the perspective of is this product actually going to do what I need it to do. That is my understanding and that's of course going to change and for anyone listening who is more focused on the hardware side or tools that require long-term implementation, that's not where this point's coming from. It's about SaaS software and the struggles and the difficulties and the challenges and the ease in some cases of what that looks like. What do you but think the split is? I think the split is going to be, it's a probably almost 80% more important for my salesperson to be able to clearly define the steps that happen after the close of the sale and then what happens beyond that than it is for them to know what that button does. I, it's, it's funny that you say that because uh, my initial response is 70-30 in that same direction. Yeah. But I, I took a step back and I think I'm going to go 60-40 because I think product knowledge is important. But I, that my the big takeaways, I 100% agree that I think product and sales selling on excitement I think sometimes that's better. Like, they're not. There's certain buyers, and I think this is a buyer problem, that ask overly technical questions that don't matter, and some of it's like blustering and whatever. And but having the answer to those questions is great. But being if you're talking to the right person, I don't care what the vehicle is that gets me from point A to point B. If you tell me that you can reduce my commute from 30 minutes to 15 minutes, you have my attention. 
And that's what I think the difference here is like, and then the the process part comes in once they say yes, like how do I actually make that commute happen? I think that's what needs explaining. But the nitty gritty behind the scenes stuff, I don't know. I think think most sales would have a big picture understanding they're fine. I think they have to, then you have to define like what's big picture versus small picture, right? Also, do you think salespeople take that as a negative? No. Do they, do they hear that and say, well, no, no, I can't. I mean, I... I, I, think, I think a good salesperson takes that as a compliment. I think they say 90-10. I think they say it's more important for me to know how my internal company works so I can make stuff happen here than it is for me to know how the product works. There are product people who need to know the product. I need to know how to make business happen within this company. And, and just to be clear, that was a comparative. That was process versus product. This is not saying that product knowledge is not important or Super useful important. or something working on this. But the clear idea here is if somebody can't paint a picture of what the product does, there are people in job functions that should come after sales that can pick up those pieces and, and completely solidify that knowledge. 100%. But you know, and we, this is something we didn't touch on earlier because throughout sales, onboarding implementation, growth and support, um, one of the biggest inconsistencies we'll see is in the content that they have access to. And that's also where they kind of get damned from the beginning. If your marketing team puts together a piece of content that doesn't actually replicate what the process is once they get their hands on it, then then you're, you're cutting out sales legs from underneath them. And that's, that's even more so a real big detractor than, than not knowing the process because that's written down. It's, it's so funny you say that because that's uh, that it goes back to the whole integration concept. So, we, you know, the company that I'm with is a 10-person company, so communication is – it's pretty easy, right? Like we throw something in Slack, you talk to people directly. So uh, a thing that we had happen a week ago was we're signing customers and they ask about what our onboarding steps are. And leadership said, hey, hey, go write up a visual of what our onboarding steps look like so we have something to distribute. So I'm kind of wearing both hats in this scenario. but And as one person, that feedback loop is so simple. But think about this at a company where it's very large. And you have sales team that are hearing these things from customers and like as they go to onboarding, every onboarding goes well, but they notice the first call or the first two calls are rocky because the customer had no clue what the expectation was going to be. And if that feedback doesn't get filtered up to the right people to say, hey, a one-sheeter that just walks through what our onboarding is with visuals would solve 90% of first call problems. In my situation, that's not a problem because I'm, I'm the person that's getting that feedback and making the change. But I assume that you've dealt with this before when you led onboarding teams and that. How do you make sure that feedback loop actually happens? Yeah, I think a lot of it is understanding that that, that sales and, and their expectations are very, very much dictated by where the company is as a whole. Um, having only been at, at companies that have kind of gotten past the initial formulation of sales, onboarding, support, et cetera, and not been part of the actual inception and creation of those teams, I can't tell you what that conversation looks like. I'd love to, I'd love to think about it. And uh, for anyone who's, who's built that, we might lean on some of our, our neighbors and, the, and, the, and founders in the space. Um, I'd love to hear how much attention was paid because unfortunately, here's what I, I found so far. You just pick a guy or you pick a guy or a girl and that guy or a girl, they become that part of the company who handles that responsibility. I feel there's not enough critical thinking applied to that. And almost all of those assignment of responsibilities for young companies become, we need this. It isn't that we have time to critically think on this. It's that we are absolutely ass on fire dealing with mm-hmm. customers and revenue or, or growth and problems. So Brian, you're in charge of sales now. What's that mean? Build your own KPIs and you tell me what you should, should be reporting on. Brett, you're in charge of support. Well, what's that should mean? Go find the tools. Make sure that we can answer emails. Make sure that when we get 
500 angry people a day sending us ad block related uh, jargon of, and swearing at us. I ran the numbers. It's about 100 a day. That there's it's some, actually not that bad. That there's somebody on the wall doing that. I And this is – we were talking earlier about companies that from day one that – you know, it's like death by a thousand cuts. I call it death by a thousand pieces mm-hmm. of software where because you need tools to make things happen, you buy all the easily accessible items. You buy the cheapest tool, the one that you can get five users for free because you have five employees, the one that you know that I can sign up today without a long-term contract. And then you find out two years from now, it's really difficult to export and move that data into something like a Salesforce. So you're stuck. stuck bleeding from these continually opening wounds from all these pieces of software where if you bit the bullet day one and invested the money or made the pitch, you might have known to do it. I don't even call my experience in in software trial and error. It's just error and error. I just keep (laughs) messing things up and people have been nice enough to keep giving me opportunities to mess more things up and then to keep trying to mess more things up as I'm allowed to learn more. But the biggest disconnect I see is if your data is in different places and you don't have a real definitive reason for having your data in different places, that's a, that's a ground zero problem. So when we talk about where teams evolve into and well, why are they so you know distinct? Why does you know onboarding have a goal that just seems to be focused on getting someone through a process, but there's no real evaluation of, of skill or communication of that they, they understand what's going on. Same with sales, same with any kind of partner growth team. They're, they've been siloed since day one. Like we, we, we were the first human beings on the planet. We walked in five different directions and we wonder why we have different skin colors and speak different languages. So how, do you, how do you stop that siloing though? That's so right. I agree with you. Brian, how do you stop that siloing? <laughs> I, I, I think I have, I have no clue. In, in my mind, it's having a culture of openness and conversation and let people ask questions and let people know that it's okay not to know the answer to things. But I, it's, it's, in, it's, it's difficult to scale it because people just, human nature, again, they don't is, want to not know. But we're at the 21-minute mark. And maybe I, this is going to be a 20-minute podcast. Well, I, I think we got into a, a real serious conversation. What I'm, but now we have a conversation next week because we want to uh, dive into this idea. It's more of a methodology that Brett came up with, which I thought was really interesting, called AIR. And I'll kind of walk, walk us through it before we uh, close up and get that ready for next week. Yeah, I touched on it a minute ago. Uh, the general idea that Brian says, how do you get people to avoid siloing from day one? And I think people are always better uh, when you can show them what they could do as opposed to trying to instruct them or tell them afterwards. So this might not be for the companies that exist. I'm sorry, my, my fellows out there. Maybe we have tools that can we can salt the earth and burn it down. Um, but air is, is the idea of this ideal way. I'd like to see companies bridge this customer journey note that everyone likes to say, everyone likes to talk about, but then to actually turn it towards their business process. So it's weird to me that startups that are designed to be transformative and cutting edge and there's a focus on culture and doing things differently and we're going to revolutionize the blank industry, copy their organizational structure from businesses that have been around for 50, 60 years. You know, you can take a, 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 a scooter tool. You know, like Lime, and yet while the tool is new, inventive, it's mobile oriented. It's also a problem that people have had for years: is transportation. Absolutely. You you turn back and you look at the organizational structure, and it's the same. And I know there's an element of that that's probably for investors and for funding. You need a CEO, you need a CTO, etc. But what I like to say is, when you go beneath that need-to-have level of employee, what if you could build an approach so that your sales, support, and onboarding, and success and growth teams all work with the same type of process. 
And that's what the AIR method is. It's acquisition, implementation, and retention. We're going to get into a little bit more, as Brian said, during our next few conversations and hopefully have some people in to uh, talk about their functions that specifically relate. And we'd love to hear what you all do to to keep things integrated between your departments. And uh, so, yeah, the next sequence, we're going to dive into this and kind of go into what the whole AIR idea is. And then we're going to have uh, episodes that actually break down each of the categories of AIR because there's... Lots that go into, again, the acquisition, implementation, retention phases of that customer experience, and we'll we'll dive in. And uh, with that, that's where we're going to stop for this week, and we'll kick things back off next week with a deep dive into the AIR methodology. Uh, Brett, anything, any closing remarks for our, for our loyal listeners? Yeah, it's a good first episode. We'll, we'll cut this up, put some sound effects on here, enter sound effects here. <laughs> um, interested to get you guys feedback we, if you're interested in being a guest please let us know we'd love to have you at the square table um, let's sign off yeah thanks for tuning in for more information on anything we talked about today you can reach us at brettandbrian.com thanks again sports fans and we're out alright <laughs>